Morning. I got here early. I told him this morning so I could hide so nobody knew that the backup pastor was on. So y'all couldn't run away. You know, I, and I just come to realization just a, a, like 30 seconds ago that this thing streamed live. I for, so I, some stuff, first hour, I, I probably shouldn't have said. Um, I, I you have to go watch because I'm not going to say on this hour. Although it's already out there by now, it doesn't really matter, right? Um, I don't know what happened, how your morning has been. I know that my mornings, when I wake up on Sunday, I have a routine. And so I'm usually the first one up, take a shower. When I get out of the shower, my wife gets up. I go downstairs and piddle around until it's time to wake the kids up. And then we get the kids up. Uh, then I go downstairs. And to be honest with you, I turn on ESPN to catch the scores. Anybody else do that? Yeah, okay. One or two of you liars. Um, <laughs> and then Jack comes down, you know, because us men get ready pretty quick, you know. It doesn't take us long. And we switch it. We usually watch Andy Stan uh, Charles Stanley comes on. So we watch Charles Stanley comes on. And then the women kind of filter down and get done with what they're doing. And so then we decide who's going to ride in what car and how we're going to get here. You know how that works. And so then it's my job to go to Dunkin' Donuts to get the essentials for the morning, food, coffee. And then I bring it back to the church and dispense it. I go to the office, get my stuff, go to the apex, turn lights on, turn music on, get ready for students to come. Students show up and go to Sunday school, then they switch, and the next group comes in, and then second hour I try to get up here to the worship service, and here's Steve, and then I go downstairs, say goodbye to my family, and I begin preparation for Sunday night. But if I'm going to be completely honest this morning, is I can go through that whole routine and never once think about God, and never once stop and think about the reason I'm doing it all. I go through the motions. I go through the routine. And I know many of you had to do that this morning. You got up, got your people dressed, get them ready, had to feed them, had to do transportation, got behind the slow car, but you had to be nice because it's Sunday, right? Then you get here and you go to Sunday school class, or, and then you transition, come down, you sit in the worship service, and and you're, you're sitting in a chair, your body's here, but if you have to, if you're honest, your mind is somewhere else. Anybody can relate to that? Am I the only one? A few more honest people, that's good. Worship is an offering of our whole self to the one who loves us and sustains us. Worship is an offering of our whole self to the one who loves us and sustains us. Jesus told the woman at the well, there's going to come a time where it doesn't matter where you worship. It's about how you worship. It's important. It's the how. It's not where your, your bottom's on the chair. It's about the, it's about the worshiper. It's about the person sitting in the chair. It's the how you worship that's important. And our worship is important, but yet many times we give little thought or preparation to coming and being in the sanctuary with, in corporate worship. We don't do any prep. We don't give any thought to it. And after greeting friends and looking through our program and our bulletin, and we go and we find a seat, we listen to some songs, we sing a little bit of them, we listen to some prayers and some preaching, and then we assume that that pleases Almighty God. We assume that we have done our worship. 
Worship is the outcome of a life centered on God. This is what Charles Stanley said. That's why I love him so much. I love his words. He says, worship is the outcome of a life centered on God, an outpouring of devotion and praise for who he is and what he's done. It's an outpouring of devotion and praise for who he is and what he's done. It's an offering of our whole self to the one who loves us and sustains us. Offering our whole self to the one that loves us and sustains us. And then posture matters too. Listen, the, the majority of our communication, just about every study you can look at, the majority of our communication is, is nonverbal. It's done through our bodies. It's through how we interact with the world. It has very little to do with the words that we say. Very little to do with the, the words that come out of my mouth. When a young man meets a, a, a boy, I mean a girl, that he wants to impress, right? What does he do? He sucks his gut in. Whew, that's hard after turkey. Sucks his gut in, sticks his chest out, right? Wants to look as big and strong as he can. And then one day, when he wants to propose, he does what? Gets down on one knee. And then one day he gets on two knees. And why does he do that? To apologize. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to. You know, when, you, when children come and they want you to hold them, they hold their arms up. That's the universal sign of pick me up. Right? And then you pick them up and you pat them on the back. That's universal sign is I've got you. You're okay. When the national anthem's played, what do we do? Jump up, stand up, erect, put our hand on our hearts. When we go to the football game, and their score, what do we do when they score? Anybody want to show me? Right? What's this? What does this mean? Touchdown, right? We get all excited, and then we find out the ref called holding, and it's called back, and then what do we do? Boo, you know? Some of you were yelling at your TV last night. I know it. Don't even, don't even try to hide it. But here's what happens. Our hearts get caught up in the experience of the moment. And it causes our body to respond outwardly. When our hearts get caught up in the experience of the moment, our bodies respond outwardly. And we're created that way. That's the way God created us. Um, Timothy said in First Timothy that he wishes everybody would pray raising holy hands. See, Timothy understood that there's a part of that outward expression that, that talks about our inward reality that he wants everybody to raise holy hands when they pray. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. And the Bible's full of it. The Bible talks about bowing humbly. It talks about raising hands joyfully. It talks about shouting and singing and clapping, and it even talks about dancing. And I know some of you are already going there. I, I can hear it. You ain't saying it, but I can hear it. And the way I was raised, I was raised Baptist, and I get it. They would have hauled you out of here, right, if you'd done some of that. Um, I get that. But, you know, God created us to be holistic beings. We have a body that interacts with our, our intellect and our emotions. Stephen Miller says this, Yet no matter the context, as we experience the inward heart reality of worshiping God with all that we are, our bodies reveal our heart's condition. This is why God wants more than for us just to go through the motions. The fruit of our outward expressiveness reveals the roots of our heart. It's what's going on out here reveal what's happening inside of us. 
You remember the little song, If You're Happy and You Know It, what? Clap your hands. Yeah, y'all know it. Well, what if we sing If You're Happy and You Know It, Tell Your Face? Because yeah. I'll be honest with you, sometimes when you see somebody, you're going, I, I, I think they're mad at the world. Just look at them. Look how they act. I mean, that, it, that's the thing is, is that the fruit of our outward expressiveness reveals the roots of of our heart, the root of our heart. All right, go to Second Samuel chapter six. Open your Bibles, students. Y'all better brought your Bibles or your device. I'm sorry. Y'all can open. Y'all can turn to your device. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you say that. Second Samuel chapter six. David doesn't really try to teach us about worship here, but David, we can learn a lot about worship through David's attitude towards worship. Through David's attitude. Just to give you a little background on what we're dealing with, Saul had allowed the ark of the Lord, the ark of God, the the box that God had Moses make that was the representation of God's presence. It was a manifest representation of God's presence. And Saul had allowed that to be taken, stolen by the Philistines. They didn't want it long because it caused them problems. So basically they gave it back. But Saul put it at Abinadab's house because he didn't really want to deal with it. He didn't bring it back to the center of worship. And under Saul, God's people, their worship was mediocre and lifeless. And David decided he wants worship, he wants God's presence to be at the center of who they are as a country. So David wants to go and get the ark of God and bring it back to the city of David, back to Jerusalem, back to the place where God's people are. And so David goes, in chapter 6, he says he took 30,000 Israel, young chosen men from uh, Israel, 30,000, and he brought them to Judah to get the ark to bring it back to the city of David. And it says in verse 3, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Verse 5, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with, their, with all their might before the Lord with songs and harps and all kind of instruments. So you get the picture. Here's David. He goes and he gets the ark of the Lord and he's going to bring it back. And here's the first thing we can learn from David is that worship is personal. It's personal. It was personal for David. He wanted to make sure that God was worshiped by his people. He took it upon himself to make that happen. He took it upon himself to go and to get the ark. But not only that, is you see him publicly just worshiping. They were worshiping with all of their might. David didn't stand back and watch the children of Israel worship those young men worship. No, he jumped right in there with them and he was worshiping God with all of his might. It was personal to him. And we know worship's personal to David because he did it on his own. We know that David, as a young shepherd boy, worshipped in the fields. All those psalms, those songs that he wrote and worshipped to God. As a matter of fact, sometime this week, if you want to read Psalm 132, Psalm 132 was written by David privately about this experience in 2 Samuel chapter 6. See, David worshipped privately and publicly. He worshipped privately and publicly. Sunday, listen... When we come together and worship on Sunday morning, it should be an overflow of our private prayer and worship. It should be an overflow. It should, 
It should take all that worship that we have experienced through the week and it should be an overflow and a pouring out of that worship. See, if your worship on Sunday morning is dull and unproductive, then your through-the-week worship is probably lacking. Your worship through the week is, is probably lacking if your Sunday morning worship is unproductive and if it's not focused. And if you try to catch up on Sunday with worship after ignoring God for a whole week, I've ignored him all week long and I'm going to come in. And listen, I've heard this say said before. Oh, I love going to that church because I just get my spiritual tanks filled up so that I can last all week long. But you know, that's not the point of corporate worship. The point of corporate worship is that we work, all, we, we worship all week long and we fill those tanks up all week long and then we come together with other believers and we pour out that worship, that overflow at the feet of Almighty God and worship Him together as a group. It's not about you getting blessed. It's not about you getting filled. It's not about you getting excited. It's about what you give to Almighty God. That's what worship is. It's an outpouring of what's inside of you, the worship that you've been building up all week out in public with a whole crowd of people that's been doing it, and you pour it out before Almighty God. It's personal. It's supposed to be personal. You're supposed to be doing it privately and publicly. Verse 6 says, When they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the ox stumbled, and the Lord's anger burned against him, and what happened? He died. Right there beside the ark of the Lord, he died. And it said that David got angry about it. And then it said David got scared. Oh, no. Here I am bringing the ark to, to the city of David, to the center of the life of people, and now I've made God angry. And so instead of bringing it, he took it to Obed-Edom's house and dropped it off and said, I'm just going to leave it here. Because I'm scared now to bring it to me. See, Uzzah died because David was not doing what he was supposed to do. See, worship for God is personal, but it's also respectful. God had told them when you move the ark, that it's, it's very specific how you move the ark. There's poles inserted on rings on the side of the ark, and it's to be carried by foot, by hand. Not just by anybody, but by the Levites. And David put it on a new cart. You know, I'm sure it makes it easier and quicker, right? Just put it on a cart and let's just make it quicker and we'll get, to, we'll get to the city of David a whole lot faster that way. But that's not the way God had told them to do it. And Uzzah suffered the consequences of it because they were not supposed to touch it. So, so many times, listen, we don't come into worship with respect and we treat God as if he's a puppet on a string. We treat God as if, as if the, the, the worship, the, the choir the worship leaders and the pastor are all the performers and you guys are the audience. And you're here to receive something. You're here to be entertained. You're here. But the truth is God is the audience and we are the performers. God is the audience. We are the performers. It's not about us coming and getting something and getting blessed and being entertained. It's about God. And we're coming here and we are the ones that are or in the performers for God, and we're the ones that's supposed to worship Him. He's to receive our praise, not give us a blessing. We are supposed to have an outpouring of devotion and praise for who He is and what He's done. 
So it's, gotta, it's personal. It's got to be respectful. In verse 12, worship is given freely. It says, look in verse 12. Now King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought the ark of God out of the house and to the city of David. So listen, okay, God's not mad at us. He's blessing Obed-Edom. I didn't mess this up big time. So he, David says, okay, now we can go get the ark. And I want you to look at what he did. Verse 13, I, I love this. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, what had David figured out? <laughs> it's not a new cart. It's the way that God had told him to. It's the way God had said. He's now listening to what God had said, and he's doing it right. And when those people had taken six steps, he said, stop. And he started sacrificing and worshiping right there. We got it right. Praise the Lord. We've got this right. And it says, after they had taken six steps, what did he say they did? While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound. David, listen, David got excited. He got all excited about it. As a matter of fact, he's saying David said he danced. He danced. He danced before the Lord. And not only did he dance, he danced with all of his might. In verse 14, he danced with all of his might. So listen, doing it the way God had told him freed him up to really worship, to really worship God. And listen, he was uninhibited. You know, we... We are, we're trained to be inhibited. We are. If, if you don't believe that, just go shopping with some teenagers. Go buy some clothes. Because here's what they'll do. They want to buy the clothes that they think everybody else thinks they're supposed to wear. It doesn't have to be comfortable. It don't even have to look good. I remember this as a kid when we bought clam diggers. Y'all remember those shorts? They were bright, ugly colors, and they come up down to about right here, and it made me look like a midget because my little short legs, and they come up. <laughs> Ugliest things in the world, but we thought we had to have them because everybody else said they were cool. And, you know, as parents, we inhibit our kids, too. Because I remember going out to eat used to be a big deal. How many of y'all remember that? Going out to eat used to be a big deal. We hardly ever went out to eat. But I remember my dad taking me and my brothers and my sister out to eat. My mom, I guess she stayed home to get a break. I don't know. So we were all out to eat at a steakhouse. Big deal. We never got to go out to eat. We really didn't know how to act, to be honest with you. So we're in there, and we're eating steak, and I'm pouring A1 on my steak, and I'm eating, and I'm going, this is awesome. And it was about that time when the commercials came out where the people in the restaurant would grab the A1 bottle and stand up and go, wow, isn't this A1 terrific? And so I thought, we're in a steakhouse. I got A1. So I stood up on my seat, and I said, wow, ain't this A1 delicious? And my dad inhibited me right there. He did. Crush my spirit. I, would, I probably would have been making millions in commercials. But I was inhibited by my father. But we're trained to be that way. We're trained to be inhibited. We're trained to worry about what other people think. And here's David. He used his mind, his strength, his body, and his spirit, and he danced with all of his might. He was out of breath at the end of his worship. He didn't worry about what others thought. It was for God, not for others. He wasn't there to impress people. He was impressing God. God was the audience. And we worry way too much about what other thinks and not about what God thinks. Worship is free when we do it correctly. Number four, worship creates fellowship for one another. 
It says in verse 17 that they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the tent, and they sacrificed some offerings. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He gave them bread and cakes and raisins. And he went to the people that were there worshiping, and he gave them cakes and food. His, I mean, I think that's what happens when we worship God. It, it just causes our love for each other to grow. And it makes us want to love one another and serve one another. And, and all the little petty arguments that we have and all the little dislikes and likes and this person and that person said this and all that falls away when we worship Almighty God and we start loving one another and serving one another. And this church is a very loving church, a very serving church. We can prove, right? We can get better at it. But worship creates fellowship and love for one another. And lastly is this. Worship will always have its critics. It's always going to have a critic. If you look at verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. All this worship going on around her. She's standing in a window. And she looks and sees her husband David dancing with all his might before the Lord. And it says she despised him in her heart. How far was her heart from the Lord? She wouldn't even join in the worship of God. But she's standing back with a critical spirit, judging others for their worship. There's always going to be critics. There's always going to be those people who are going to sit back and judge and, and not join in. They're not there to worship God. They're there to judge how other people are doing it. They'll never understand that they're not in the audience. They'll never understand that it's not about them. And I love David's answer in verse 21. This is one of my favorite little parts in, in this story. Verse 21, David he comes up the door. Michael's there. She dresses him down for all his foolishness. And here's what David said to Michael. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me to rule over the Lord's people Israel. Whoop, burn, you know. Um, he says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. I love that. He says, listen, I don't care what you think. As a matter of fact, if you think this was bad, wait till you see what I'm going to do next. I'm going to be even more undignified than this. Dignified is controlled and serious and calm. And undignified is looking foolish to others. And David says, I'm going to even humiliate myself. I'm going to get so out of control worshiping God. I'm going to give God everything that I have. Even those areas where I'm a little bit scared, I'm going to step out and I'm going to worship the Lord. And I don't care what other people think. I'm not going to let it limit my worship of Almighty God. Love that. I'm not going to let you keep me from worshiping God. I'm not going to worry about what you think. I'm just going to worship. I'm just going to worship. So how can you prepare to worship God when you come next week? See, one of the things I wanted to do with this sermon is I just wanted to remind us. Sometimes I think as churched people, we end up going through the motions when we don't even mean to. 
we end up getting in a routine and we forget the purpose and the reason why. And we can come and we can sit in worship service after worship service and hear about God, but never in our minds put him front in, 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 in the front of who we are as the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. How can you do how can you prepare next week? Number one is worship all week long. Worship all week long. If you don't know how, just take a psalm every day and read a psalm that David wrote, a prayer and a praise that he wrote to God. Sometimes it's dealing with what's going on inside of him. Sometimes it's dealing with what's going on outside of him. And sometimes it's purely just about God, you are awesome. You are holy. You are other. And you put God first and let him take prominence over what's happening in your life. And put your life in perspective. Your every day is about him and not about what you have to do at work. Your every day is about him and not what needs to be done. Your every day is about him and not what you think it's about. Put him first. Come with your tanks full next week, ready to pour out at the feet of Almighty God instead of an empty tank that you need to get filled. And decide you're here to worship God and not to create a persona. Decide you're here to worship God and you're not going to try to please people beside you. Decide you're here to worship God and you're not going to worry about what people think. He's the audience. We're the performers. What if this church came together and worshiped like that? What if this church came together and worshiped God in an, as David would say, in an undignified way? I think the community would notice the people that's pouring out their hearts to God. They would notice a community of people that love each other so deeply. But most importantly, God would receive only what he deserves. Our praise and our worship. So this morning, the altar's open. I don't know what you need this morning from God. I don't need to know if you need to come up here and say, God, I need to break my routine. Maybe you haven't been to this altar and your routine is that you sit in that chair every week and you never get up and respond. Maybe you just need to come down here and say, God, I, I want to pour out my love to you. Forgive me for not doing that. Or maybe you haven't started your journey with the Lord yet and you need to start that journey. I'll be down here. Some of us will be down here to talk to you if you need us to. But most importantly, we're going to sing a couple of songs in worship. And what I don't want you to do is stand in the window. Don't stand in the window and watch. If he's your God, you worship him. If he's your Lord, you worship him. And you make the next few minutes, if you haven't up until this point, all about him, forgetting who's beside you. Father, help us right now, Father, as we make the decision to worship you without holding back, giving you our all, pouring out our devotion and our love to you, Father. And I pray, Father, as we open our mouths and sing that you would open our hearts and Father that you would be pleased by our worship this morning in Jesus name